It's uh, very good to be here uh, always, and uh, I find it always refreshing to be here. Um, I'm always leery of introductions. Like, I don't mean speakers. In, I mean, when your speaker is being introduced, especially if it's me. I was at a place once, and the uh, introduction was so over the top that I did not recognize the person they were introduced. And one of the young people came up to me afterward and said, kind of with a twinkle in their eye, I wanted to cheer. <laughs> they knew how embarrassed it was. Uh, so this is a, a tamer introduction is good. Uh, yeah, so we're going to dispense with talking about spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about how excellent grandfathers are today. And I was going to have a slideshow because I know everyone just loves seeing pictures of other people's grandchildren. But uh, we will do spiritual gifts. It crossed my mind at one point. Tim sent me his uh, uh, slide show that he had made on spiritual gifts, and it is excellent, by the way. And it did cross my mind mischievously to just use it and uh, see what he does next week. But uh, I would say don't miss next week because it was very, very uh, thorough and clear. So let's turn. Uh, we did read in 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to spend most of our time there. But I'd like to also just read a little bit in Romans 12 as we uh, as we begin. <clears throat> Romans 12, verse 1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us each exercise them accordingly. And then it will list several of them. So let's pray and then we'll think a little bit about spiritual gifts. Our Father, we're grateful for this morning. We are grateful for everyone who's here. We thank you for uh, our purpose in gathering together, that there's something uh, meaningful to do. And Father, we thank you for the um, just time earlier to remember the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the hymns we've uh, been able to sing. And now we thank you for your word and for time to look into the word of God. And we would uh, pause before we do that and uh, just ask that you'd uh, quieten our hearts and that you would teach us. We um, come to the scriptures and we're thankful for the unspeakable treasure that you've given to us in the word of God. And in a world that's so confused and and so unstable, Lord, we thank you for something solid and true. And uh, we need your help, though, to understand it and to see it built into our lives. And we come here with many different needs, every one of us facing different trials and circumstances and we're thankful that the word of God is living and active and powerful. And we pray that it would be used in every life today uh, for your glory. And we pray in your son's name. Amen. Um, I know what people like even more than they like messages about math is messages about grammar. But uh, there is something interesting. I read Romans 12 verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 1. I don't know how many times and for how many years in my life without noticing something very simple about the grammar of Romans 12, verse 1. It says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, I'll tell you how I read it all the time for many years. Uh, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies living and holy sacrifices, right? Like it's bodies plural, and I just assumed it was sacrifices, but like it was kind of some, that's the way I read it. But it's not what it says, is it? Um, that uh, we tend to think that way, that kind of it's our default position is to think of just ourselves and to think of us as just individually. That's, that's um, uh, partly the world in which we live, it's partly the flesh. It's partly just what we've been trained to do. And we think of things as uh, kind of on a, you know, a, a very individualistic way. But this says something, I think, quite a bit different than I used to read it as. It tells us 
to present our bodies all together as one living and holy sacrifice. There's something corporate going on here. It's, it's not just a call for the individual Christian to be individually consecrated to God. I think most of the messages I've heard on this passage, they speak of it as that's what as if that's what it is. I think probably most of the times I spoke on this passage, I spoke on it as if that's what it was. A call for an individual Christian to just be individually consecrated to the Lord. Well, it'd be good for individual Christians to be individually consecrated to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. We need that, every one of us. If we're a believer in the Lord Jesus, I hope it's our desire that we'll be consecrated individually to God. But I don't think that's what Romans 12 verse 1 is saying, or at least that's not all it's saying. Because it says, not uh, present your bodies all as individual sacrifices. It says very clearly, present our bodies as one sacrifice. United, corporate. And in fact, uh, you know how they say in real estate, it's location, location, location. I think you probably know that when you're interpreting the Bible, it's context, context, context. Like that's going to be the thing that trumps every other principle pretty much as Bible interpretation is the context. And if we look at the context, if we don't just stop reading at verse two, we read that that's exactly what this passage is talking about. It talks about just as you are one body with many members and goes on and describes this unified body, a whole bunch of people, individually members, but joined together in one body. And it talks about how, what that looks like and some principles of that, about that and, and some, some of the way that works out in practice in our lives. And in particular, it talks about these spiritual gifts that we all have great gifts that differ according to the grace given to each one of us but it says it all to be used together to glorify the lord and so i i hope that in future when we read romans 12 verse 1 we read it for what it's saying not just a good truth that maybe is an implication from the verse and is certainly taught elsewhere in scripture but what it's actually saying in this passage it's saying that if we're somebody who wants to serve and please the lord this doesn't happen merely in our individual Christian life. In fact, it's saying that if that's all we have is an individual Christian life, and we've kind of ignored the whole corporate aspect of Christianity, we are missing out on what this verse in, 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 uh, kind of charges us to do. And all of this, the book of Romans up to this point has been doctrinal. And now it's kind of led to this crescendo. Um, it's going to have, it's going to start giving us practical consequences of all the the, this full exposition of the gospel. And isn't it important that the very first thing it tells us, and, and in light of all of the gospel message that's been so clearly explained, is not to tell us to go out and individually cut off from everybody else, live like a Christian. The very first thing it says, if we really get the gospel, if we really understand it, the very first thing it tells us is how to live in church life. So it says, all of you together, present your bodies as one living and holy sacrifice. And it will describe many things about church life in the rest of the chapter, but one of the things it describes is the spiritual gifts. So I would, I would take this right from the start, that when we read um, about presenting our bodies to the Lord and it being our, our spiritual service of worship, I would say that unless we are doing it corporately, unless we are actively, like, like vitally involved in our local church, and in light of the passage, using our gifts, then we are not fulfilling Romans 12 verse 1. We can have a holy life. We can have a life that we are living righteously, and we're abstaining from all kinds of sin, and we're not being worldly, and maybe we're even doing some other spiritual things, but we are falling short of Romans 12 verse 1, if we, all we're doing is living an individual Christian life, if we're just eaten, as exemplary as it might be, if that's the end of our Christianity in practical terms, then we have not attained to Romans 12, verse 1. That when the Bible uh, describes to us the consecrated Christian life, it tells us that it is involved vitally, actively with devotion in a local church. 
That's what it says. And it's the example of the early church. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. That's not um, kind of a bonus for, for, you know, maybe some people who aren't busy. They can do that in their lives, right? That's the norm as far as biblical Christianity is concerned. And the flesh would tell us I'm too busy. Like, oh, sure, I'd love to be involved. I'd love to be very actively involved, but I'm very busy, okay? So so that's entertaining um, because um, if we look around, we'll find there are lots of people who are busy, and some of them still manage to be actively, vitally involved in their own church. Like, I'm not the only person on earth that's ever been busy. I sometimes meet people and they're like, oh, I'd like to, but you know, I have kids. It's like, what are you talking about? You think you're the first person on earth to have kids? <laughs> like, assemblies are full of people with kids who are also actively involved in a local church. Assemblies are full of people with jobs, full-time jobs even, who have or actively involved in a local church. Believe it or not, assemblies are full of people who have full-time jobs and kids and are still actively involved in the local church. So when people say I'm too busy, it's like, yeah, not, I'm not sure that's the problem. In fact, I was laughing, but I mean, I found it entertaining. Maybe I shouldn't say I was laughing about COVID because that would be misunderstood. But you know what the deal was before COVID? Yeah, you would hear this all the time. We would say it as Christians all the time. I'd love to serve in such and such a way, but I'm too busy. And it seemed like with COVID, like the Lord just called everyone's bluff. Okay, here you go. Extra 20 hours a week. Let's see if you'll serve me now. Right? Every, everyone had all kinds of extra time on their hands. It'd be an interesting. I'm not asking anyone to say anything out loud, but it's interesting. It's challenging to me to look back on, okay, when I got 20 extra hours in a week, what did I do with that 20 extra hours? Did I give it to the Lord? Did I serve him more? All these things that I said, if I had more time, I'd do this for the Lord. Well, he gave me more time. Did I? It's a challenging question. And for, I mean, it's not for us to talk about with each other. It's just to talk about honestly with the Lord. Say, Lord, what did I do when you gave me more time? And so I think this uh, passage on spiritual gifts, this is vital. It's not just kind of an interesting detail about the local church. It's not just something that's kind of a fun topic to talk about once in a while, although it is a fun topic. Um, it's something that's that's got to be vital in our Christian life. It's important. It's something that's crucial. And so when we get to this subject, excuse me, uh, we ought to be, uh, we ought to realize how important it is. Uh, again, we have this tendency, I said at the beginning, that we take things that are corporate passages, and we interpret them individualistically. And uh, the same thing is true when we get to 1 Corinthians 12 and the passage about spiritual gifts, which actually goes from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and in the middle is chapter 13, and uh, that's the math part of the message. And the, the thing is, we hear it at weddings. Well, it's great to hear it at weddings because it says a lot of wonderful things about love that is highly applicable in a, in a marriage relationship. But we should understand the main point of 1 Corinthians 13 isn't talking about marriage. It's talking, the main application of it is about the, the use of spiritual gifts in a local church. And that's the real point. There's a lot, we can learn about love in general. We can learn love, but love in other areas of our life and other relationships. And that's wonderful. Those things are all true and good and helpful. But, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that when, when God put that chapter on love in the Bible, the point of it, the main point of it was to tell us as Christians how to demonstrate love in the local church. And it was through how we use our spiritual gifts. So this is just to say at the very beginning how important this is, that uh, how crucial this is. This is not an optional topic or an interesting extra in the Christian life. As far as the Bible is concerned, this is normal Christianity. This is what Christianity looks like in practice. If you're saved, you're part of a local assembly, and you're to be exercising a gift in that local assembly. I'll talk a little bit about what that means for sure in the rest of this, but it's, um, <clears throat> it's important to grasp from the start that this is essential. As far as practical living, if we want to please the Lord as Christians, it's not talking about what unbelievers do. It's not talking about how to get saved. It's talking about once we're saved and I want to live a life pleasing to the Lord, this is essential in our lives, is that we be active in serving others in the assembly. There are a few passages that um, uh, talk about spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, 
Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4 are kind of the ones that are, are mentioned most often. Uh, several of them have lists of gifts. If we had kept reading in Romans 12, we'd see um, if prophecy in accordance with uh, uh, in accordance to the proportion of his faith is service in his serving, if teaches in his teaching, uh, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and so on. It's listing some different gifts. Um, and you can compile them together if you want. You can go through the different passages and make a list of 20-ish gifts that are there. Um, we have a couple of twin brothers in Sudbury, young men, and they, one of them says, likes to say, our gift is the interpretation of hospitality. And uh, they're inviting people to, uh, to invite them over. So it's, uh, it's, it's fun to know what, what the gifts are. Uh, by the way, hospitality, if, uh, I read once hospitality is the art of making people feel at home when you wish they were. And it's a good skill for Christians, for Christians to learn. Those are the, the main passages. They're, they're good to look through because it'll give us a sense of, of what kinds of things the Lord is talking about when he's talking about spiritual gifts. And some of them are speaking gifts and some of them are serving gifts. And actually, most of them are serving gifts rather than speaking gifts per se. But um, they, are, they, they cover a wide range of areas of service in the Christian life. And uh, so it's a fun study to look at. It's a fun study to go through each one of them, actually, and try to find examples of people in the New Testament that um, demonstrated those, those various gifts. But um, when we talk about it, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's good to read the, the purpose of them. When we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, we read this phrase, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, as each has been given a special, a special gift, employ it in serving others. Okay, that God has given us a spiritual gift. Every Christian has one. And he has given it to us for the purpose of serving others. It's not for the purpose of serving ourselves. It's not for the purpose of encouraging ourselves or helping ourselves or building ourselves up or serving ourselves. Every time it talks about the purpose of it, it's going to talk about serving other people. Now you see why 1 Corinthians 13 is where it is, right? Because it's about love. It's a, if you get love, then you understand that spiritual gifts are for the purpose of serving other people. They're not for themselves. It's not for ourselves. How many times does 1 Corinthians 13 have to say that love doesn't seek its own? Love's not in it for what I get out of it. It's in it for what we can do to help other people. And that's, that's essential in our use of spiritual gifts. In fact, um, we, we want to keep that in mind, that when we're using our gifts, we're to be using them for the benefit of other people. Excuse me. I would um, guess that, uh, judge that when it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4 that every Christian has one, then that means this. That means that we have to have had it since salvation, because otherwise... Um, not every Christian would have one. That it's not something we earn, is it? It's not something that, um, well, you get saved, and then if you attain to a certain level of spirituality, now you earn a spiritual gift. Uh, it's not that, because we all have them. Everyone has has one. Every every Christian has one. In fact, we should we probably deduce that from the name. It's a gift. It's not a wage. It's not something we earn. It's a gift. Just like our salvation, it's graciously given to us by, by the Lord. It's not something that we have earned. We don't have to attain to a certain level of spirituality in order to get this gift. It's a gift. It's not earned by definition. And so it's something that God has given us. It's just like salvation. Right? It's the free gift of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the world is, is full of religions that would tell you you earn salvation. That here's the code of conduct, here's the special list of rules, here's whatever it is. And if you, if you do that, uh, and then they battle, pedal back. If you, if you more or less do that, if you, well, they can't even say if you try your best because no one even tries their best at it. But if you, if you kind of sort of approximate their list, then, um, then you'll earn salvation. That's what it is. God will owe you heaven. But the scriptures teach that uh, the only thing we earned 
was death. And we're all sinners. We've all fall short and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And God has no plan for us to earn salvation because we could never do it. He has something vastly more glorious than that. He has a gift. He has the, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And for those who will come to Christ, who say, I've given up on me. I've given up on my religion. I've given up on trying to earn salvation. I realize it's an insult to a holy God to think that I could be good enough for him and that I could somehow earn my way into heaven. Um, I'm, I'm done with me. And I just, I just need to be saved. And somebody who will come to Christ and trust Christ to save them instead of trusting themselves or trusting their religion, they get the free gift of God, which is salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's not earned. And every Christian in this room would tell you that today, right? Whereas we are certain of heaven and we're not certain of heaven because we're good people. We're not certain of heaven because we're religious. We're not certain of heaven because we think we're better than other people. We're certain of heaven because the Lord Jesus died on the cross for us. And we are trusting him instead of trusting us and he'll get us there. And so it's a gift. And then we discover once we've been saved that God's given us all kinds of gifts, not just the gift of eternal life, but he's given us, in, well, among many other gifts, a spiritual gift to employ in serving other people. Spiritual gifts, if we want to give a little definition, um, they are not, there are some things they aren't, they're not natural talents, um, you know, things like music or carpentry. Now, that doesn't mean those things are bad or you know, carnal or somehow less important, or we're saying that there are some things, there are some natural abilities that we had, maybe that we just kind of had from birth, or maybe that we learned over time that uh, we might've had long before we were a Christian. And those are great things to have. And I hope we use those things for the Lord as well. God wants us to use all that we have for him, every skill, every ability, every talent, to use it for him. And those are, those are wonderful things, but they aren't what the Lord is um, talking about in this subject of spiritual gifts. They are not secular skills. Uh, I say this carefully. Don't anyone walk out. I'll give a disclaimer. Um, like just because somebody is a teacher in by vocation doesn't mean that when they get saved, they've been given the spiritual gift of teaching. I, I, I said that someplace once and somebody walked out of the room and afterwards, like he left, he didn't just leave the room. He left the building and he was furiously angry. Turns out he was a teacher. And, and uh, even though I put disclaimers on it, that many people who are by vocation teachers are also excellent Bible teachers. Um, uh, wasn't enough of a disclaimer. So uh, I'm not saying that there's no you know, if you're a secular teacher, there's no way you're a Bible teacher. But we shouldn't just think that because somebody does this as their career, that they have that spiritual gift as well. These are these are two different things. There's not going to be a shortcut to finding out what it is. And so they are they are two different things. And um, and so we should we should keep that in mind. Another thing they are not is they are not evidences of spirituality. Now we said that when we said they're gifts and you don't earn them, but it says of the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. The Corinthians were exceptionally gifted people as far as spiritual gifts go. And uh, yet, you would be hard-pressed to find, with the possible exception of Laodicea, a more carnal assembly in the New Testament than Corinth. Okay? <laughs> it wasn't that they were spectacularly gifted because they were spectacularly spiritual. The whole problem at Corinth, and we, so we read about spiritual gifts, is that they were very carnal people for the most part, and they were using their spiritual gifts in a very carnal manner, and they needed to be corrected. They needed to have it kind of redirected into our, instead of using it for yourselves and showing off and trying to make yourself look good, to forget about self, to be done with self, and to use these gifts for other people. So we should we should keep that in mind that they are not evidences of spirituality because sometimes um it's been presented like that and if you attain to a certain level in your spiritual life you will get a a gift uh you will get a spiritual gift it's usually the same spiritual gift but nonetheless um it's like this is your reward for being super good and super spiritual that's not at all what the scriptures say 
The scriptures give us this example of a very carnal church that was nonetheless spectacularly well gifted because it isn't earned. It's a gift from God. And so we should we should keep that in we should keep that in mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, our gifts describe uh, service and what we do. The gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit describes how we do it. And those are two vital things. They're both essential if we want to do it right. God didn't give us two good things just so we can choose one and throw the other one away. He wants us to be serious about the gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit. And so it's not going to be any good to be someone who is, oh, here I am exercising my gift, but I have no fruit of the spirit in my life. I'm unpleasant and rude and impatient and unloving and uncaring, but look how well I exercise my gift. It doesn't cut it with the Lord. Um, okay. The same is true on the other side, by the way. I'm a super nice person, but I don't do anything. Um, also not the ideal for the Christian life. God wants us to take both seriously. He wants us to exercise the and, and ev evidence, the fruit of the spirit in our lives and exercise the, the spiritual gifts that he's given us to be people who serve and who serve in a godly way. It's not going to come as a surprise that the Lord Jesus, of course, is the best example, isn't he? I mean, he's, if you said, okay, uh, what was better about the Lord Jesus, his character or his work, that'd be a, that'd be a hard question to answer because both were perfect. Okay. He finished the work that the Lord gave him to do, that the Father gave him to do. But he could also say, I've glorified you on the earth. My, everything I did, my character radiated the character of God. That's what he could say. It was true. All of his character was perfect. All of his work was perfect. Now, we're not going to attain to that down here on this earth, are we? We're, we still have, if we, even if we're Christians, we still have the old man within us. We still have the old nature. And it corrupts what we do. And it corrupts why we do things and, and so on. But we, we understand that what we're aspiring to, even if we fall short, what we're aspiring to in a practical way in our lives is to serve the Lord, absolutely, but serve him in a Christ-like way. Is it, is it um, uh, anybody here, uh, like, can you sympathize with me when we say, when I say, like, sometimes one of those uh, is easier than the other. Sometimes it's easy to be kind of a pleasant person in a good mood and be lazy. Or, or on the other hand, it's sometimes easy to be someone who's hardworking but is a bit of a pill to be around because we're, um, you know, not, not where we should be spiritually. That what God is, is looking for in his people is people who reflect Christ, who are, who are showing the character of Christ and manifesting it as well through active service and being serious about serving, serving others. So a spiritual gift it's not secular skills. It's not natural talents. It's not an evidence of spirituality. It is very simply a God-given ability to serve him in a particular way that we get at sal that we get at salvation. It says, um, it says this a, a number of times in, in different ways, but I'll just read first Peter chapter four. Um, verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So that's what a, a spiritual gift is. And we have, as I mentioned, a number of different lists in the New Testament if we want to have an idea of what kinds of things we're, we're talking about. So there are some practical questions uh, that we would want to ask ourselves about this. Uh, one is, of course, <laughs> how do I find out what my gift is? There's no, um, there's no verse you can turn to that has your name in it and tells you what your gift is. I mean, uh, at least nobody alive alive today. So that's not how we're going to find it out. And I, I just want to suggest this. It's like pretty much everything else in the Christian life. There's not going to be a shortcut to this. Right? The Lord's teaching us to trust him and to walk by faith. And he doesn't teach us to walk by faith by making everything instant in our lives. He doesn't instantly tell us what our spiritual gift is. Uh, I'm not 100% sure actually everybody needs to find out what their gift is this side of heaven. They do have to use it, though, which uh, people can do inadvertently, I might add. Like, I think of some people I know who I think have the gift of encouragement. 
I think it would come as a surprise to them to, to, to discover that they, they have that, but everyone around them would say it. Everyone around them would say that that's such a refreshing person to be around. They're always, they know how to say just the right thing or do just the right thing. Or whenever I'm down, this person just coincidentally comes by and encourages me. And I don't think it's because the person says, oh, I know my spiritual gift is encouragement. So I'm now got to kind of scan the crowd for someone to go encourage. Um, it's just what they are doing naturally. So I, I'm not 100% sure that everyone needs to find out specifically what their gift is this side of glory. But it's something we should be working towards exercising, certainly. And I don't think it's something that we find out that we find out instantly. I don't think, I can't imagine what mechanism there would be for us to find it out instantly. Uh, I think it's going to be walking by faith. And so here's, I'll just give you some suggestions. These are just some practical suggestions. One is uh, do them all. <laughs> okay, You'll find that spiritual gifts, the permanent spiritual gifts, are all things that every Christian should be doing. Giving. Uh, which Christians should be giving? All Christians should be right. Um, encouraging. Which Christians should be encouraging? Should it be just the people who have the gift of encouragement? We know that every Christian should be encouraging. We read of the the evangelist. Should only evangelists be evangelizing? Every Christian should be evangelizing. You go down the list, showing mercy, helps, service, all of these things. Every Christian should be doing all of these things. But it's going to turn out that some Christians are particularly suited to do these things. Um, kind of in a way that's maybe comes a little more uh, easily to them than it does to the to, to, to others and there's maybe or maybe it's more fruitful or something but it's it they have been uh, kind of specially equipped to serve in a certain way now we don't know what that is for me or for you right we don't find that out when we're saved and so thankfully they're all things that all Christians should be doing so we should just try them all we should just do all of these things we see something that needs to be done we should we should serve because it's it's um, someone said it's 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 hard to steer a ship or a car that's that's not moving. So we want to go forward and we want to try try different things. And I wouldn't give up. Like I tried something once and it didn't work. Like if you were, wanted to learn how to play guitar, um, and I and you told me yeah, I tried to learn guitar and it didn't work. I'm useless. And I said oh yeah, like how long did you try? And you said five minutes. Um, and say well. You're not really serious then, right? About losing learning guitar. Like, I mean, nobody expects to learn guitar in five minutes. Um, it, you realize that if it's something important, you're going to try over and over and over, and you're going to gradually grow in confidence with it. And um, those are two words. And they are, uh, you're going to, it's not something you give up after one try if it's important. And so these different ways of service are things we should all, we should all um, be, be engaged in anyway. But I think what was going to happen is over time, if we're engaged in serving in these various ways, maybe we won't discover, but the people around us will notice that um, the Lord has uh, equipped us in a particular way. I wouldn't go by what my assessment is of me, because we are particularly uh, poor at self-assessment. Uh, and uh, I think you've you probably noticed that in the world today. If you haven't noticed it, it's because you're exceptionally poor at self-assessment. That the uh, that we're not good judges of ourselves, and so uh, we're, there's too much emotion and too much flesh involved in all of this, and for us to be good evaluators of ourselves. But what will happen is others in the assembly, especially especially people who you know we look up to and have a kind of a, you know, maybe are, are more mature and more grounded and more stable in their Christian faith, they're going to know. They're going to see us serving in all different ways, but they'll see ways in which we serve that um, it just comes a little more naturally to us than it does to normal people, or there's more fruit for it, or whatever it is. So my first suggestion is this, is just be busy serving, right? And serve in all these different ways, because they're all ways Christians should all serve anyway. And then uh, you don't have to be impatient about it. And we certainly wouldn't want to trust our own judgment on it. But uh, if somebody else, other people that we look up to spiritually that are, that are wise and, and grounded, um, if they notice and make use of us and want to encourage us to go in a certain area, that's a pretty good sign 
isn't. It's way more trustworthy than our own evaluation. Um, I heard somebody, uh, I knew a speaker once and somebody came up to him afterwards and uh, was complaining about their assembly. And uh, it's, and uh, the guy, he said to the speaker, he said, like, for instance, I'm a gifted speaker and they never asked me to speak. And this uh, speaker said to him, uh, I had the same problem. No one ever asked me to sing. Okay. And his point was, he's no good at singing. So they're not going to keep asking him to do it. And, and sometimes other people can see things that we can't see or that we don't want to see. So first of all, serve in all these various ways. But secondly, rather than trusting in our own assessment, just let the Lord work through other people and guide us. In, and, and you know what? People will ask us to serve in ways. And it'll give us opportunities to serve. And if we're not being pushy and if we're not trying to force ourselves into a particular role that we really want, but we're just letting the Lord, uh, you know, guide us and guide us through other people. I think in general, what will happen is we'll find that the Lord through other kind of more um, reliable people guides us into the kinds of service that he wants us to do. I'll just give a few thoughts too on the, the use of the gifts. When we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, read in the opening, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And we see the Trinity at work there in, in this. Um, and that's a fun study is to find all the things in the Bible, all three members of the Trinity are specified as being involved in, but it's good to see that um, spiritual gifts are one of them. This is important to God, and uh, every person of the Trinity is involved. And I, I think what this is telling us, among other things, is there are varieties of gifts. Right? They're not, it's not just one gift. There are varieties of, of different gifts that he's given. We've listed some of them already. But then it says there are varieties of ministries. Um, even within a particular gift, it doesn't mean that everyone has a gift of teaching works exactly the same way. Right? There are people who are, are better with um, adults and people who are better with children and people who are better in groups and people who are better in small groups and people who are better in big groups. And it, it's like, it, it's, it's, God is endlessly creative. So we don't have to worry that we're expected to be exactly like someone else. We're going to discover that there's a variety of gifts and within those gifts, there's a variety of ministries. God's prepared different ways for every one of us to serve. And there are varieties of effects. And, you know, we like to judge things by what we see. And, uh, that's that's not a it's not a great way to judge things. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. So I'll give you an example. We know Moses was a preacher of righteousness for decades and decades. And uh, how many people got saved through Moses' preaching? Right? Like, um, well, only eight people went into the ark. So uh, maybe some of them were saved before then too. So it might be fewer than seven other people. So all those decades. And so little visible fruit. Jonah, on the other hand, a very reluctant prophet and very self-centered and grumpy and, uh, you know, disobeying God and everything else. And all Nineveh repents. Okay. Like, which is the better preacher? Well, the flesh would say, well, clearly Jonah is the better preacher because look at the spectacular fruit. But I think we know by evaluation which one was the better preacher, don't we? Like, like we shouldn't judge things by their visible effects. Like God's going to take care of that. And, and we should say, um, you know, I think we do. We get encouraged and we see fruit and, and so on. That's not bad. But I, I would say let's not get discouraged when we don't see fruit because God is looking at things in a much bigger picture than we are. I was thinking a few weeks ago about um, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I was saying, you know, they stood up uh, <laughs> at the time. They wouldn't bow down to the to the statue. And I was thinking, how many people did those men lead to the Lord? And I was like, well, uh, until the time when they didn't bow down, I'm not sure they led anyone to the Lord. Maybe they did. But even in their day, how many people? Like, there's no one we know for sure. But over time, like, God's not just working in their day. How many people have been saved over time through that, through what they did? Right? The boy with his loaves and fishes. And little, just a little act of service that day. And again, how many people across time and, and, and around the world have been saved through that? Let's not evaluate things based on what we see as results right this second. There are a variety of results. God's working them all together. Our job is to be faithful and to serve. And the other thing this passage <clears throat> tells us 
is that there is, because there's variety like this, we shouldn't expect other people to serve exactly like I serve. That's a danger. Like we're, we, you know, we, we have a burden. And now it's hard for us to see how every spiritual Christian doesn't have exactly the same burden I have. Like it would be easy in the flesh to say, they're not as burdened about this than I am. That They must be a bit carnal, right? Because this is an important thing. And if you were spiritual, certainly you'd, you'd share my burden. And God's made us all different. And, and we're all going to have different burdens. And we shouldn't expect other people to be just like us. It'll use this example later on in the chapter. <clears throat> it will talk about the different parts of the body where, um, <clears throat> where uh, it says that uh, they, I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Like, we can't look at people who are burdened in different ways and gifted in different ways and conclude that somehow they're less important. We should rejoice in the diversity that God has placed in the body. We don't want the body to be all hands. We don't want the body to be all feet or all eyes. We love the fact that there's all these different members in the body. In fact, it couldn't function without all the different members. And so the the, the thing that we want to keep in mind is that there is this great diversity and we should thank the Lord for it and we should, should rejoice in it rather than expecting people to be like us. As a young Christian, I remember there, there was a man in our assembly and, and he said out loud in a meeting, the young people in this assembly don't do anything. And I remember looking around and thinking, the young people, like most of the openers are young people, all the Sunday school teachers are. I could list the whole thing, people cleaning the chapel or young people. What he meant was <laughs> um, he, he did work on uh, fixing things in the chapel, right? Fixing like the eaves trough and stuff like this, which is vital and great. It's a wonderful thing. I'm glad we had someone to do it. And none of the young people were doing any of that. Like none of them had the skills to do it, among other things. But because he could only see this one area of service, everything else the young people did didn't count. Right? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes I remember being at a conference and there was a guy, an evangelist speaking, and he was telling us quite angrily, I might add, that unless you're knocking on doors, you're not being faithful with the gospel. And I remember thinking, okay, I know I respect what he's trying to do. Like he's trying to encourage us to get out with the gospel. And that's a good thing. But what he's actually accomplishing right now is discouraging people from getting out with the gospel because he just sees this one area of service and doesn't realize how, how creative the Lord is. And the Lord does want us all to be out with the gospel, but he doesn't going to use us all in exactly the same way. There are a variety of gifts, there are a variety of ministries, and he's going to use us in different ways. And we should be thankful for that. And so we should not look down on people because they don't have the same gift I have, or they don't have the same burden I have, or they're not exactly like me. It's a good, trust me, it's an excellent thing that they're not exactly like me or exactly like, like any, any one of us, right? They, they, the diversity that exists within the body is a wonderful, is a wonderful thing. <clears throat> I will... Um, just in just two more points about this in, in, in wrapping up. And one of them is this, that we read in first Peter chapter four, that um, we have all been given a, a special gift. Yes. We've thought about the fact that there are abilities to serve God. We've thought about the fact that there's diversity and there's, and we're unique. God loves us individually, you know, and he's equipped us uniquely, every one of us. And so that, um, that reminds us that, we shouldn't expect other people to be like us. It also reminds us, by the way, we shouldn't expect ourselves to be like other people. Like no one else here is our standard. The Lord Jesus is our standard. He's the one to, to, to follow. And uh, we, don't, we can't say, oh, just because I don't serve exactly like that person, I guess I'm not a useful Christian. Yeah, there are some people um, that, you know, Christendom has trained them to think that unless they're the pastor, they're not useful in the church. They're not really important. Right? And, and this is completely at odds with the teaching of scripture. Every, every person is vital and we have different roles and that's a good thing. And it's not that one role is more important than the other. God is the one who designed it and gave us the gift that we have. And so we should never second guess it. We can be sure he's given us the right thing. Well, first Peter chapter four, verse 10 said that it's a stewardship that he He's given us a gift. Now, the idea of a steward is <clears throat> like a man, maybe a rich man might employ a steward to look after some element of his business or his affairs. And the rich man isn't going to spend all his time micromanaging it. 
He says, I am giving you this, whatever it is, maybe it's a, um, and maybe it's a business or a section of his business or a certain amount of his money. He says, your job is to look after this, is to take care of it. And there are examples in the scriptures of, uh, you know, uh, parables of people who were stewards and a wealthy man entrusted them with various amounts to use for him. And you know what happened when the, um, some people would invest those things and the wealthy man would have return on his investment. And he commended them and he rewarded them. And remember the man who said, well, I was worried about losing it. So guess what I did with what you gave me? Nothing. I wrapped it in a handkerchief and I buried it. Okay. Uh, who remembers the parable and who remembers whether or not the master was pleased with the person who did nothing with his stewardship? It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. We have not been given our spiritual gifts to do nothing with them. God has entrusted it to us. Um, not to be crass, but he expects a return on investment. Right? He expects us to use that. He expects us to take our spiritual gift and use it so that there'll be fruit for eternity. And if we don't, then we are uh, unfaithful stewards. And now, again, I'm not saying you have to know what it is. And lots of people use their gift without necessarily knowing. But we should be endeavoring to serve. Right? Let the Lord direct us in the right way. But we should be people who are busy serving and who are serious about serving and, and serious. And it should be our desire. And we should, we should pray daily that the Lord would direct us to the way he wants us to serve him. He may not ever connect the dots explicitly for us till glory, but but we should be people who are burdened to use our gift to serve him. And that should be something that we we want to do with our lives. You know, I, I say as, and it's a, it's a rebuke to me first, but I, I, I try and encourage uh, especially new parents and say, you know, one of the things that goal you should have in your life is to raise your kids, first of all, to be saved, obviously, but secondly, to find a way to serve the Lord. Okay, whether they can label it as a specific spiritual gift or not, it's not so much the point. Find something to do to serve the Lord that you can pour your life into, that you can really be active in. And we might not know what it's going to be. And we're not, you know, we're not the ones to tell our kids, here's the way you're going to serve. But to raise them to say, Lord, I want you to be looking for in your life after you're saved, how it is you're going to serve the Lord with your life not just to kind of in general doing Christian things, but some way to serve him that you can pour, <coughs> pour your life, uh, that you can pour your life into. So it's a stewardship. It's something that we should, be, we should be serious about. We should recognize that come the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord's not going to ask us for a list of excuses about why we didn't serve. Oh, I didn't like my assembly about this, and I didn't like the elders about this, and I didn't like this, and I didn't like this. None of that's going to be uh, on the agenda at the judgment seat of Christ, okay? We don't get to blame other people then. Um, he is going to ask us to give an account of our service, okay? And you might think you have a whole bunch of good reasons to be upset with other people, and that's why you can, like, sit and say, I'm not going to serve because I tried it once, and I got flack for it. And if you think that way, remember, the Lord Jesus came and served, and he got a lot more flack than you'll ever get. And he didn't stop, did he? He didn't say, well, that's it. I'm throwing in the towel. He just kept going because he's a faithful servant. And faithful servants don't give up when they get flack. And if that's the deal, if we just all got to give up when we got flack, everyone would have given up right now. Like, please, don't anyone think you're the only person who ever got flack in your Christian life. Like, that's a, I said earlier, people have a... A bad, a bad, low ability for self-assessment. When I meet somebody and they're like, oh, well, I, you know, people weren't grateful and people mistreated me and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, welcome to fallen earth. Okay. That's everyone's life. You've just described everyone's life. That's not the difference. The difference is some people, when they get flack, they keep going. And other people, when they get flack, they throw in the towel. We have a perfect example in the Lord Jesus, and he got more opposition and more abuse and more rejection than any of us and all of us together will ever get. And it never deterred him. He never slowed down. He just kept going. And that's our example. We should follow him. Last thing, stewardship. Last thing to say is this. And you might make, make, make fun, but uh, they're gifts. Okay? If I said to my son, William, next Christmas, I got you a gift. Here's your lovely gift for Christmas. It's this great snow shovel. Okay? I don't think he'd call it a gift, right? It, yeah, it's free. He didn't have to pay for it. He wouldn't look on it as a gift, right? It's, 
Gifts aren't just free. That's not the only component in a gift. A gift is also something that that is that you rejoice to have. Can I say this about spiritual gifts? Yes, it's a stewardship. Yes, the Lord wants us to use them in serving others. But I can tell you, he has every good and perfect gift comes down from above. The Lord Jesus talked to the people in his day, and he said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, right? We're all sinners. We know how to give good gifts to our children. He said, how much more then does your father in heaven know how to do that? When he gave each one of us a spiritual gift, it's for our blessing. Yes, it's going to be used for other people. Yes, it's going to glorify God. Yes, it's going to edify other Christians. But I'm telling you, we will never enjoy our Christian life without using our spiritual gift. Because God knows that this is part of what is going to complete us in our life. He knows there's going to be fulfillment and satisfaction and joy out of serving him with that gift. It's a gift from him. It's not something that he's giving us purely, you know, as, a, as labor on our part. It's a gift. And he knows it. Yes, you know what? If I don't use my spiritual gift, sure, it's, uh, it's something that is going to grieve the Lord because I don't use it. And it will deprive other people in the assembly because I'm not using it. But you know what? It's going to rob me. It's going to rob me of the joy and fulfillment that the Lord wants me to have from being involved in his work for eternity with the gift that he's given. So uh, those are some scattered thoughts. I think if uh, Tim's slideshow is much more organized than, than this, so I, I would highly advise coming next week. But I hope these things encourage us in how we use our gifts. For, encourage us, first of all, to know that if I'm a believer, I have one. Secondly, we use it to, to serve others. And thirdly, to remember that this is, nonetheless, we're putting others first and we're using to serve others. This is how we're going to have true Christian joy and fulfillment in our life. It doesn't come by serving ourselves. It comes by serving others with the gifts that God's given us. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for uh, the grace that you've shown us in your son. First of all, that, and above all, that he died on the cross that we might be saved. But then we discover as we go on in our Christian life, that he just pours out grace upon grace upon us. And one of those um, infinite graces that he's given to us is these spiritual gifts. We do pray, Lord, that you would help us to use these gifts in serving others as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Help us to be burdened about it. Help us to be faithful in using it. Help us to, to know that our uh, master in heaven has, has entrusted these gifts to us that we might use them for his glory and for the good of those around us and help us to be active in service um, until he returns, that he might say, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray in his name. Amen.